hell are you driving here? We had a small fire last night, but we caught it in the nick of time. <laughs> you have any idea how fast you were going? Well, funnily enough, I was just talking to my friend about that. Our speedometer's melted, and as a result, it's very hard to say with any degree of accuracy exactly uh, how fast we were going. 78 miles an hour. 78, huh? Well, yeah, I could buy that, sure, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, you would know better than us, uh, especially since we got a melted speedometer. Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? Yes, I do. Yes, I really do. I, I, I believe that. I know it's not pretty to look at, but it'll get you where you want to go. Now, you got no outside mirror. No, we lost that. You have no functioning gauges. No, not a one. However, the radio still works. Funny <laughs> as that may seem, with all this mess, that the radio is the only thing that's really working good, and it's as clear as a bell. Don't ask me how. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. This is uh, an old throwback song that I really think I sing well. So I'm going to try and sing it for you, Bob. Okay. <clears throat> the best part of waking up. Is Folgers in your cup? <laughs> That's good, Dave. I yeah. wonder if that was in your mind because we were talking about coffee. Uh, maybe, yeah. I was um, feeling half asleep, half awake over here. And I was just thinking, man, little Folgers wouldn't hurt. <laughs> How often do you drink a, a little Folgers? Boy, it's it must have happened at some point in my life, but there's a good chance I've never had any Folgers. It's a <laughs> coin flip. Whether it's ever happened, what do you yeah. what do you go for your your cup of Joe these days? Um, I'm, there's a local brew uh, roastery here in Fort Collins called. Uh, Harbinger. Harbinger. And yeah, they do a nice bean. It's not, it's not the best ever, but it's not bad at all. That's for sure. Yeah. It's nice to drink that local Ethiopian coffee, you know, <laughs> local. Absolutely. Dave. Yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes I think about, um, you know, how the world used to be divided into two really. It, it was probably, I mean, obviously divided into a lot more, but they think about it as old world food and new world food or like not just food, but like everything, right? Um, seemed like the Americas were pretty split off from like Eurasia. And then I think Eurasia and Africa was kind of its own thing, but they definitely like shared some stuff, right? Um, especially Northern Africa. But um, yeah, I think about where I would rather live, like which food groups, you know? Mm. Um, And I think it's got to be old world, even though the new world has a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. I don't even know what's where anymore, you know, because of the so-called Colombian exchange and yeah, like where did 
apples come from. I guess that's old world, but um, yeah, those Kazakhstan. Ah, uh, nice, very good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Most of like the like the mm, what do you call them? nightshades are from the new world, like corn and peppers. Um, every like continent has its own grain. It seems like corn, wheat, teff, um, rice. But I don't know. There's something about the idea of having that wheat and barley of Europe that feels pretty good to me. <laughs> Gluten man. <laughs> yeah. But also animals too. I think I want to say turkeys are from the new world, right? Horses yeah. are old world. Yep. And um, house, house cats must be old world, huh? Yeah, Egyptian. Yep. Funny. Yeah. Cows are old world. Bison, new world. Dogs, both. Uh, yeah, probably. Dogs are so old school, right? That they've been around for like 100,000 years with humans co-evolving. Wow. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, are these um, oh, what you typically think about on, on Saturdays? Ah, yeah, this is, this is a normal Saturday. Just trying to get through the day, you know? Yeah. I don't think we've ever podcasted on a Saturday. Yeah, probably not. It feels, it feels like a pretty nice time of year to be podcasting on a Saturday. Yeah, it does. Yeah. We should, uh, tell our listeners we haven't been on our two week schedule. We've been behind, uh, just fill our listeners in. As to what's been going on in the old production studio. Yeah, what has been going on, Bob? I want to know. Driving in Dystopia got a million dollar grant to upscale. So we've been in construction on the old sound space, the sound studio. Uh, nope, that's not actually what happened. Um, both Bob and Dave just have been extremely busy. Extremely busy. Um, just juggling a lot. And just haven't been able to crack the space, but we've definitely been thinking about it and we're excited to get back into our season. Yeah. I think sometimes podcasting, finding the time and space for it is like anything, right? Like these hobbies that we do, you are always happy once you're doing them, but it, it becomes like, oh, I got to do this thing. Got to like sit down and cook my dinner or like, I really want to like make room to play my guitar or what, what have you, you know? Um, yeah. So I always really appreciate being here and I feel like that feels good to me, but sometimes it's just hard. And I feel like the, one of the real truths I was thinking about this week is I just feel like we couldn't have kept going if it wasn't for Nadir, you know? Aww. Oh no. Doing a little, a little bit of editing and, just like always being there. Yeah, Nadir, you've been a lifeline. The pleasure's all mine. Yeah. And yeah, it's just good to have that connection. I feel like that's always the best part of this show is when we're connecting over the show, you know? Yeah, it is. Whether Absolutely. it's you and I, or I don't know. I, I also like connecting with friends about the show. Have you been making any connections recently with people, Bob? Not so much about the podcast. Um, 
but I guess we, we did our book club and put it on the podcast. And so I thought just being in the book club and then just thinking of that in terms of the podcast has been good. Um, yeah. How about you? Oh, no, not really. Um, but it's always, it's always on a back burner that like, sometimes I mentioned that I do a podcast and people are like, what? How is that even possible? Like, that doesn't seem like, so one of my true goals in life is for someone to discover the podcast that had no idea about, like, it's like, I can't believe I found this podcast. Like I was just like rummaging through podcasts and you, it was a podcast that you were in, you know? Yeah. That could happen one day. It could for sure. Yep. Hey, Bob, I want to tell you about this uh, YouTube channel that I have been finding a little excitement with it is just like the most silly YouTube channel you can imagine. Um, so there's this concept in video games or really any type of game where you uh, rank like the best character. Um, you make a tier list is what it's called. So you do like, let's just say we were talking about a game that every one of our listeners is familiar with street fighter two, you know, and you <laughs> rank the characters best to worst, right? Like Zangief would be like an F and the top character would probably be Ryu. And he'd be, and like the top level is it goes F normal grading. The top level is an S. I don't know why it's an S. Um, but this, this YouTube channel does a tier list and it's all about like real life animals. And he uses like a bunch of video game lingo to like group animals and stuff. So for instance, uh, <laughs> he, he calls like the different continent servers. Like he's like, it's time we need to talk about the Australian server and some of the, some, and he calls animals builds. Like it's a character build, which is kind of fun. And then he like ranks them by like stealth and power and defense and like gets their attributes up on the screen. And then he like shows like a snake fighting a rabbit. And he like, will have the rabbit like lose health or whatever, you know? Um, and it's just like, it's also like a fun way to learn about like, character or like animal attributes and whatnot. But uh, I've just been loving it. And I decided that I'm going to have the kids write a paper because we're writing uh, like an informational text, expository text. And I was going to have the kids write a paper on an animal and like some of their character traits. And I'm pretty excited to show them the videos this upcoming week. Nice. So you're going to take his idea and make it a writing prompt for your students. Yeah, exactly. Maybe um, get that back to him as well. Uh, some of the papers? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Um, that wouldn't be a bad idea, but it would be pretty fun to, to send it back. I think his YouTube channel is pretty popular. It's called the Tier Zoo. Tier. T-I-E-R Zoo. That means uh, animal in German. Tier Zoo? Oh, nice. Double meaning. I love it. Anyhow, um, yeah, one of my favorite uh, episodes is all about ranking trees from most powerful to least powerful. <laughs> it's just like such a niche little design. It's it's hilarious. But I thought you'd appreciate it. You should check it out. I will. Yeah. And have our listeners check it out too. 
Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Excited about that. Good. Um, yeah. Anything else going on with you, Bob, before we get into that? Um, nothing's really on my mind. Yeah. I'd love to just go right into episode two and think about grief and just hear what you've been thinking about. But yeah, I could also give a little introduction to um, how Valerie Cower is thinking about grief. Yeah, Bob, do it. I say we do a little recap of last week and you give us the intro. Sound good? Cool. Yeah, the recap is, yeah, we're on this journey with um, activist and writer uh, um, Valerie Cower and she has a pathway to revolutionary love of different practices that one needs to or one could par- participate in and they're under the three domains of love for the other, love for the enemy or the opponent and love for the self. And we're on this, we started with love for the other. The first week we explored wonder. We really resonated with this idea of curiosity and awe and how, like, what are the things that spark that in us? And we made some connections of where that happens in the natural world, where that can happen in the social world as well. And I like that sort of going to the natural world as a, is as a well or as a like guide for our social interactions. I think what she's also basically saying there is trying to get us thinking about other people and breaking out of our own sort of narratives or just in, inside narratives about ourselves. And so, yeah, I guess maybe after that happens or, you know, not even, it's not even chronological, but another part of that is grief or grieving. And that's what we're going to explore this week. So yeah, I was trying to do some research by reading the chapter in her book um, and like looking at the learning hub. I think I'm just going to actually read a little bit of her quotes from chapter two of See No Stranger. And then we can get into some of her questions. And you and I have tried to meditate on grief, grief over these last couple of weeks. So yeah, her two pull quotes from this book, uh, from this chapter are grief is the price of love. Loving someone means that one day there will be grieving. They will leave you or you will leave them. The more you love, the more you grieve. Loving someone also means grieving with them. It means letting their pain and loss bleed into your own heart. When you see the pain coming, you may want to throw up the guardrails, sound the alarm, raise the flag, but you must keep the borders of your heart porous in order to love well. It is an act of surrender. When we are brave enough to sit with our pain, it deepens our ability to sit with the pain of others. It shows us how to love them. So that's one important quote. And then I'll read the, the next one because it sort of takes it a little bit more to the like collective level or also political level. So this quote says, we come to know people when we grieve with them through stories and rituals. It is how we can build real solidarity, the kind of the kind that points us uh, to the world that we want to live in and our role in fighting for it. 
America's greatest social movements for civil rights, immigrant rights, women's rights, union organizing, queer and trans rights, farm worker rights, indigenous solidarity, and black lives were rooted in the solidarity that came from shared grieving. First people grieve together, then they organize together. When people who have no obvious reason to love each other come together to grieve, they can give birth to new relationships, even revolutions. And I'll say one more thing, just because I was reading the chapter, and this also gives us a little bit more background on um, Valerie Carr. Um, she talks a lot about grieving post 9-11, and she's from a rural community in California of immigrants, and her parents, her community is sick. Um, that's the religious community, and that's a community that was heavily targeted by xenophobia post 9-11 and a lot of hate. Yeah, violence, actually. Um, so she sort of says, and she shows like wave after wave of that that she experienced in her life, like all over the United States, California, New York, and other places. During all that, there was what she calls like pockets of grieving like they're surprisingly in Arizona she was in Arizona and um I can't actually remember like what precipitated it but a community oh yeah it was um after a hate crime the sick community was organizing and some other locals came to just say like they were sorry and they just wanted to hear what it's like to be sick in the United States and that that surprise and, and that uh, act of just like listening and just hearing meant so much to her. And, um, yeah, so she talks about like grieving is like not, it usually doesn't happen, especially for groups who face oppression in the United States, but it can happen in surprising places. And she talks about like these pockets of grieving, um, that were so important for her and her community. So, yeah, there's some questions where we can go with this, but I talked a lot, so I want to pass it over to you, Dave. Yeah, nice, Bob. That's that's great. It's if nothing else, it's uh, probably inspired a few people out there to want to read her book, and it's called "See No Stranger." Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and also even just checking out her website, there's a lot of really good questions and videos and stuff on her website. Um, yeah, I, it's been like, this is the time of the year. It's, it was kind of a serendipitous time of the year for us to be reflecting on grief in our own lives. We published our episode right during the time of our dad's death. And it also, you know, over the course of the last few weeks, Day of the Dead happened, which is also a really important time um, f- for a lot of people. But I just feel like it's like that moment where most of us are a little bit more connected to the spirit world and to the grief and the loss that we've experienced on a personal level, I feel. Um, it's hard not to go through late October for me and not have lots of thoughts about those that we've lost. It's interesting because I went on a hike with our mom and um, it was on Julie's dad's birthday who passed away this year. 
And it was the day after our dad's death day. And it was also two days after our mom's dad's death day. So our grandpa and we went on a hike up a mountain. And I think one of the things that came out of that is like, sometimes like you really need to sit in a space of like quiet solitude to be present with loss. Um, we were ended up in a state park and there was just so many people passing by and it was really hard to like feel present. And I feel like that is such a part of the grieving act is it, this idea of collective grieving and it can be, you can feel so othered when other people are just like walking and hiking and chirping and, you know, doing all those things, squawking. Um, so for me, it felt, there was a lot of feelings of like, like, how do we grieve? Why do we grieve? And how can we support others in grief? Um, and yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. And, you know, I also, one of the nice parts about the hike was there was this moment of like awe and wonder and beauty with like as you get to the apex of any good hike, you just get this like gorgeous lookout, you know? Um, and that, that can help the idea, the first stage of like wondering, but yeah, I guess where I'm kind of going with this is I'm a little bit more like we did an episode on grief over a year ago with Katie Gillespie. I think it might've been like episode 10 or 11 or 12. Um, and it felt like we did a lot of talk about personal grief, but I guess I really loved the, what you brought up the concept of like, like action can happen with collective grief. And I feel like that, you know, she and you talked about um, 9-11, but she also talks a little bit about like Ferguson, Black Lives Matter um, and the movement there. But I feel like I, one of the things that I thought a lot about was how the pandemic sort of put this like cover of loss and sadness over the country. And then, yeah, I guess when George Floyd was killed, it like created this like moment of like even more grief for like that pocket of grief that you're talking about. And from that, I think we were, it just like laid the stage for like, uh, revolution to happen. And that is, I don't know. I feel like that's like the best metaphor for me of like how grief can lead to like solidarity and action. Nice. Yeah. That's I, I, I went back and listened to part of the episode that you're talking about and I didn't get that far to the collective part. Um, so I like that. I do want to explore that some more in this episode. I noticed in the episode, yeah, just first of all, Katie's great. Um, Katie, I love to talk more with Katie about these topics and others. And also, I'm just curious, like where she's at with her study of all this. And yeah, that was probably like over a year ago that we had that conversation. And the thing that overlaps with the revolutionary love is that idea that 
we grieve with others through stories and rituals. And so, yeah, that, that episode starts off with all of us telling stories. Hmm. And that is a key element of all of this here. The like telling stories. And I noticed that in that episode, there's a lot of kind of like joy um, or just pride or something, something positive with this, having the ability to have the space to tell stories about our loved ones. And that's, that's really beautiful. That was a really beautiful aspect of it. It, it also connects with what you were saying just now around needing space to like do a little bit of like, even before collective grieving, like one needs space to do some self grieving or healing. And that is a really good, or I like really appreciate that observation that, um, that just seems so true for me as well. And there's a lot of barriers to that because of busy schedules. And even like, yeah, you, you go out to the woods and try to get a little space and then you're hearing some squawking and talking. And so that is, a it's just so easier said than done. Um, but maybe that's one of the important first steps. So appreciate that observation of yours. Um, because also I think what that allows for is what we were doing with each other in that episode was holding space for one another. So I think what is also just so necessary is like holding space. So like, um, that as being a principle of grieving with others is like, you know, if someone is going through grief, like what can you do for them? Probably one thing is you, you could hold space for them and that I don't think we always think about that. You know, it's like, that, you know, we think about, oh, we need to get them some food, like do a meal train and um, X, Y, and Z. And also, I think that's all important. Um, but we just, we don't have very much practice in holding space. You know, I think we do it, people do it, but people do it and they, they probably weren't even taught how to do it. Um, and one reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm reading a book um, about all this called Holding Change. And the author talks about, the practice of holding space. Um, I, I mean, you do it all the time, Dave, as a teacher. So that you have skills there and that are transferable to like, I think everyday life, but yeah, just some, some thoughts to throw out there before maybe taking it to a, a larger, like the political space. Yeah. Well, I say we take it there. I like that. The idea that when we hold space for the other, for another, not the other. Um, we are, that's like an act of love, right? Because yeah. you're giving, I mean, more than anything, you're giving quality time, but you're also giving like this idea of like a time of remembrance and a time to be present with that remembrance, which is a gift in and of itself, you know? Um, and definitely, there's, you know, no time too early. Well, maybe there's time too early, but there's no time too late ever, you know? It's, I think if, you know, if you've lost a loved one, 
it, it's like, you can always create like that space for someone else. And through that you can create connection, right? And it's like so vulnerable for both people to like, to take the space and to offer the space. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's kind of what, like, I, I get why it's all about grief, this section, you know, because I think that's a, like a powerful way to make connections. But I think too, that this could, this could be about vulnerability. Um, like just being vulnerable with someone else is to me seems like the, another logical second step from wonder, you know, from like inquiry and wondering that you need to be open. And um, yeah, one of the groups I'm a part of right now, it's like a social justice and equity team. Um, we're doing, we're, we're, sort of just in the research phase with the team, but um, two of the people that we're thinking about, I guess I, I'm also curious, Bob, do you know who Glenn Singleton is? Glenn E. Singleton? No, I don't think so. Um, there's a book called Courageous Conversations About Race, a field guide, field guide for achieving equity in schools. That That's not ringing a bell to you? Um. I feel like I've heard of courageous conversations about race. I feel like maybe that's a, a thing that's out there. Yeah. I feel like that we haven't declared that our book study, so I haven't read it yet or even like cracked it or by cracking it. I mean, download it on audible.com for the low, low price one month free. Just type in thriving in dystopia. Just uh, nice. um, <laughs> Get 10% off. Get 10% off your f- first audiobook with selections from popular authors like uh, I don't know, John Steinbeck. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know one John Steinbeck. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael Creighton. <laughs> what is this, 1990? Um, anyway, so that's like one of the the people that's informing our uh, like sort of norm making and the groundwork of connection, you know, um, the other one is Brene Brown and she's like all about vulnerability, which I think is important too. I mean, there's some problematic things with Brene, but also there's some amazing things with her too. Uh, but yeah, I do like this idea to tie it all back together. Um, she talks about a strong back, a soft front and a brave heart. Maybe it's a wild heart. So and I feel like that kind of connects to this conversation of being, I mean, not the strong back as much. That's sort of like being like knowing that what you have to say matters. Soft front is more what I'm talking about. Like being a listener, a compassionate listener and an active listener. Um, but also this idea of the wild heart and pushing yourself that direction. Anyway, really what I'm getting after is vulnerability is to me is key in this this second step of connecting with another person um, going from a stranger into a friend. That's good. Yeah. Like you have me thinking about, yeah, this, this step is broader than grief. It's, I think it is exactly what you're talking about. It's about like sharing vulnerability. Um, 
because she's talking about solidarity here in this step. And so I think like the impetus for this step is like, I want to, to help. I want to support. Um, so for me, this can't comes up this week when I'm teaching my class, the lesson plan is immigration. And so I'm teaching about ICE detention centers, ICE in general, um, the way that ICE operates as like a, you know, modern day Gestapo. Um, you've got Trump in the wall, but honestly, that's, that's like not the worst of it or not even nearly, you know, because you look at the numbers and the deportations were worse under Obama and worse under Biden. Right. So, I mean, that's not to say Trump's not hideous, but the Democrats offer little to nothing. Right. So it just, it just enrages me. Right. And so I'm maybe like, I I had some wonder, like, I want to, I want to know more about this topic. And so now I'm on this grief step because this is like, I'm just furious and I want to support this movement. And so I'm wanting to reach out and that's what Valerie Cower is talking about. So like, how do you reach out? And part of that is like you, you open yourself up to the grief of others and um, you know, you share your own grief where it's like maybe relevant, but you're really like trying to just hold space. And uh, so and I think that's great. Um, I don't know, you know, like where does that come in for me? You know, like where's my next step? Um, I think you just have to sort of be open. I bet like my next step is like some of my students are probably undocumented and there's ways that I can hold space for them. And, um, and then I know the next step is to fight. Like that's the next, uh, you know, topic of next week. So. We'll get into like fighting more next week, I guess. But yeah, just like this, this next step and like how to support others, grief, grieving, vulnerability, and solidarity are very important. Um, and I guess like this is all in contrast to like going somewhere and, and thinking like you know the answers or like that you can somehow like get rid of your guilt by donations or something, you know, like grieving together takes, that's not easy. You know, that that's just like long-term commitment um, or at least medium-term commitment. So yeah, that gets us a little bit to this like collective level. Yeah. I guess on the collective level for me, it's really just about showing up, you know, like, and I think she mentions like the phrase I'm, I'm here for you. Um, but I think like part of that is just actually showing up and being there on this collective like moment. I think about for me, when I like, uh, just like a moment where I like think back, I don't have like a moment of regret for me was, um, Looking back to Standing Rock, I remember feeling really strongly that I wanted to be there 
you know, like physically there because I felt like that was a, a moment in time, a cause that I believed in and really wanting to be there, like in that collective action, you know, of course, sometimes life can get in the way as we know. Um, and yeah, there's other ways to hold that space, you know, but I think that a lot of times like you got to get out there and you got to show up in those like moments, right? Like holding spaces, you also, it's like about being present, right? Yeah. So you, I have think you have to be there. The I guess the big lesson for me or the big takeaway for me this week is that like, whether it's on a personal level for yourself or on a like intimate level with someone else or on the like collective level, it's all about like actually taking time and being present and like coming out to like hold space to be. Cause you can't make connection if you don't actually show up, you know, you're not going to connect with anybody. If you just hang out in your, in your sound den with your brother talking through your microphones, million dollar sound den listening to your Michael Crichton books. Ah, the, let the donations come in. Yeah. Um, anyhow. Yeah. I guess that's, that's my big takeaway for the week, bum. That's great. Yeah. I think, I think I've also said what I need to say. So because I feel myself ready to go on to that next stage of fighting. Yeah. It feels that way. Doesn't it? Yep. I feel a little pumped up right now. I will, I will make a quick connection. I feel like, you know, we got Thanksgiving coming up. I really, I like, I really like the word of, or the action of giving thanks. But I also like the word in Spanish, acción de gracias. Um, like it's an action of giving or action of thanks. Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a little cumbersome to say la día de la acción de, de gracias. It's a little harder than Thanksgiving, but I think that that's like with fight, our next topic, tier three of, um, see no stranger. It's, it's interesting for me to be like, yeah, you know, we got this like action day of giving thanks, which is like so important for where we are. Uh, I guess with this, this, the genocide day is what I've been thinking of it recently. Um, anyhow, yeah, those are, that's the, one of the things, but I do, I wouldn't mind giving some of the, cause last, last time I gave some of the reflection questions about grief, like where do, where do you hold it in your body? Um, and like, where can you, how have you been there for others? Think of an, a moment for that. Um, would it be okay if I read some of the guided inquiry the, yeah. for understanding fight? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's see what it says here. It says, why is fighting necessary in the labor of revolutionary love? How can revolutionary love inform how we fight injustice? How can the practice of wonder and grieving help us to fight justice? Um, and then I guess I'll also read this one. Notice what it feels like to fight back. What will you do with this energy? And then the final one is ways we practice fighting. 
um, but I'm, I guess I'll just, I'll just do one of them. And it's, um, learn about movements for justice rooted, rooted in love. No, I got to do a few more discern your role. I feel like that one's a big part trained to become a strong accomplished, not only an ally. And then she talks about the sword, the shield and sacred community, which we might get into next week, or we might just ignore completely. <laughs> and by next week, you mean January, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> See you next year, everyone. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Dave, I'm putting my shield and my sword down for the year. Yeah. Well, no, maybe just we'll get together on uh, Turkey Day and do a cast. Yeah. Or- we should uh, think about, I liked what you said there. This like, Acción de Gracias. If we could like, in the honor of the grief episode, try to show up somewhere where it's, you know, it might be a little bit hard to show up. That might push ourselves a bit. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's one. Uh, well, Bob, you want to give the coordinates before we play around a stone face? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So the d- email account is davepetrie at gmail.com. Instagram is thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. Twitter at bmaze19. Website thrivingdystopia.com. And Dave's TikTok is now private. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, <laughs> uh, Bomb. Um, we'll cue up that music. Get your face ready. Uh, get your smiles out, people. Uh, I believe I get to go first this week, sir. Let's play. Let's play Stone, 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 Stone Face. All right, Bob. If I had agreed with you, then we'd both be wrong. Alrighty, Dave. Did you hear that I'm reading a book about anti-gravity? It's impossible to put down. Nicely done. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, I couldn't get it off. Okay. <laughs> get <it> yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to hold it in. It wasn't even that good. They weren't even that good. It's just like, ah, that moment. Put it on the board, Dave. Uh, well, I guess on that note, we'll leave t- tied up in season six. Or what are we in? Season eight. Love you, Bob. Dave, thank you for this. And I'll see, I'll see you soon, buddy. I'll see you soon. What's up, Driving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. The outro song to season 8 is Captain Jack by Kimaru Crew. Thanks for listening. Aujourd'hui encore on chante le refrain Du pirate acadien Allez sur les sauvages fabriquent un radeau Un jour voyant trop large ce qu'ils croyaient un bateau On le prit à 
Jack. Captain Jack, Captain Jack est arrivé de loin. Aujourd'hui encore, chanteur refrain du pirate.